Louise McSharry on 2FM. Uh, Hope Virago is the author of Stand Tall Little Girl Facing Up to Anorexia. She wrote about her recovery in the book and then she continued her activism by launching a campaign called Dump the Scales to challenge the idea that treatment for eating disorder patients should be tied to their BMI. She joins us now to discuss that. Hi, Hope me on. Just absolutely delighted to talk to you because I, I really love this campaign um, and we will get into the campaign specifically in a moment. But I suppose, I'm sorry to do it to you, but if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit of the backstory, um, you know, your own experience of, of an eating disorder and how it kind of brought you to this work, that would be great. Yeah, no, definitely. So I developed anorexia when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, and I guess for me, the reason I developed it, uh, I'd come from quite a dysfunctional family um, and I also suffered sexual abuse. And for me, the eating disorder was a coping mechanism to life. It served a purpose, making me feel kind of valued, giving me mechanisms of control, numbing a lot of the emotion. Mm. But I didn't realise at the time that actually what I was doing was really, really dangerous. Mm. So I let the eating disorder kind of, I guess, embed itself into me further and further, like allowing it to make me feel good, allowing it to kind of have that, I guess, positive uh, impact on my life to some degree. Mm. But eventually, when I was 17, um, my school got involved. I was then referred to the doctor and then finally went to the mental health services as a way to kind of help me to accept that something was the matter Mm. and to look at actually what they could do to help me get better. It's interesting hearing you say that it was something that made you feel good or kind of gave you a sort of gratification because I suppose a lot of people wouldn't really understand that. But that is kind of often what we read, isn't it? That there's a sense of peace in the in the control element of, you know, an eating disorder like anorexia. Yeah, there is. And I think so often we forget that. I think we get so fixated on the physical aspect mm. um, and we forget that actually it's a mental illness and there is mm. so much more wrapped up to it um, mm. within what we're kind of, feeling on a day-to-day basis, but also then again, how you then offer that additional support to people. Mm. And so when you were when you were sick, uh, what impact did it have on your life, aside from the physical, obviously? Um, what impact did it have on your relationships, on your family? Yeah, so I guess it just caused havoc, yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest. I, I struggled to go out for dinner with people. I struggled to have those kind of social interactions and struggle to be completely engaged and present Mm -hmm. even at mealtimes and in the run-up to mealtimes and things like that and I did what I could to try and still be involved to try and still go out with my friends Mm -hmm. but quite often I'd go out with my friends in the evening and I'd be kind of weighing up in my head whether it was worth having something to eat and drinking and getting involved knowing that if I did that the next day I'd get up and I'd be sitting with a lot of guilt and Mm. be just so disgusted at myself for doing that. Mm. And because of that, it meant that quite often I found it easier to just withdraw Mm. from those situations. Yeah, and that's quite common, isn't it? Yeah, people do what they can, I think, to to hide what's going on. Mm. And an easy way to hide things is just to not show up to stuff and just start putting those boundaries and those barriers up around you. And it's really difficult, I think, with eating disorders because there's so much stigma still around them. And so people just think that someone's maybe being difficult or someone's choosing to not do something or choosing to have a habit or a rule that they've created for themselves. But actually they are mental health issues. And yes, they're really, really difficult to kind of manage and get well from. But actually... 
with the right support. And if people are given that support network around them, mm. people can go on to make a full recovery. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that definitely. Uh, but I also wanted to, to say that it's interesting hearing you describe, you know, avoiding dinners, avoiding events, you know, which might have involved food, because I'm thinking about my own experience with food over the years. And I've never had an eating disorder, but I've definitely had an unhealthy relationship with food at times. And I can really relate to that, that feeling of it would just be easier, actually, at times if I've been on a strict diet or I've been trying to lose weight, it would just be easier, actually, to not go to the dinner and to just and to just not deal with it. Because, you know, then you're sitting in the restaurant and you're stressing about what you're going to pick. And then you're thinking about, for me, it was often Weight Watchers points. How many Weight Watchers points is it? And then the next day, kind of agonizing over what you did and the guilt and you carry that with you for days. Like, I feel like that's something that, unfortunately, a, a lot of people and particularly women live with all the time, even without a de- an eating disorder. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think we live in a society which gets so fixated on eating certain foods and creating these certain rules in our heads. Mm. And what it does is it just shames a lot of us. Yeah. So we stop enjoying food. We stop enjoying going out with our friends. Yeah. And I do think that actually it means that quite a lot of people have that dysfunctional relationship with food and exercise without necessarily realising or without realising kind of the wider impact that it's having on them. Yeah. It's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, I find it really, I do find it really heartbreaking. I think particularly I do a lot of work in schools and quite often when I go into schools, you've got young people saying, oh, I can't do that or I can't do this or if I have that, it will make me a certain size. And it's a lot of it is down to the really, really bad messaging that we're getting. And I think particularly over the last year, there has been this fixation on weight yeah. and on body and on baking and on food. And it's like, as kind of the pandemic starts to ease, whatever that looks like kind of in certain countries and certain yeah. areas, actually, like, people are so fixated on judging everyone's pandemic based on what their body looks like. Yeah. And it's like, that is so wrong on so many levels. And I think that as individuals, actually, we need to be checking in with ourselves and working out actually what our own relationship with food and exercise is like yeah. moving forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to go back to your own experience because I believe from from what I've read, it was actually a relapse which led to you kind of becoming an activist in this area because obviously not every person wants to share what is probably a very difficult thing uh, to talk about with everyone. But you did have an experience that kind of drove you to speak out, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So um, after I was discharged from treatment when I was 18, I went through into this kind of phase of ongoing recovery and was in a really, really good space actually with it mm-hmm. up until 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2016, my grandma passed away and I really struggled to deal with the kind of grief around her going. Mm-hmm. And I could feel myself going back to those old coping mechanisms, kind of allowing it to kind of suck me back in, pulling me in. And it was it was really, really difficult. And I think the hardest thing was I knew what I was doing. I was kind of frustrated at myself. I felt like I'd let everyone down around me. So I tried to be proactive and go to the doctor and speak to the eating disorder service. Mm. Uh, um, went to the appointment, um, kind of went through a whole list of criteria, had like a proper assessment done, only to be told at the end of the appointment that I wasn't actually underweight, so there wasn't anything they could do for me. And I remember just leaving that appointment, just feeling so upset about the whole thing. I was so frustrated. I was so angry at services. And I was also just really, really angry at the way that 
kind of across society, we judge the severity of an eating disorder based on someone's BMI. Yeah. And the more I started talking about it, the more I realized, actually, this isn't something that just happened to me. But it happens to so many people, thousands of people, in fact, every single day across the whole country, across the whole world. Yeah. And I realized that actually there needs there's something categorically wrong with eating disorder treatment if we're just looking at a person's BMI. Yeah, because obviously you're based in the UK, um, but this is a problem that we have in Ireland too. And not that long ago, I was contacted by someone who is just desperate for help for a friend who was in the same boat, who was so, so terribly sick with her eating disorder and she couldn't access treatment because of her BMI because it was deemed to be too high. And it's in Ireland, It's and I'm sure it's similar in the UK, it's to do with there being not enough beds, not enough spaces for people to access treatment and so therefore they need some barometer of of how severe something is and and this is what they deem to be you know the most important and it's just appalling yeah it is and it really it really frustrates me i think it's important to like we're not trying to slam the nhs like what the nhs is obviously amazing and services out there are really good to some extent but it's it's just not right that people with eating disorders can't get support unless they're really underweight and we know statistically that only six percent of people with an eating disorder will ever fall into that underweight category Mm. so that means there's 94 percent of people who are probably never going to get the support they need they might be functioning at a high level but i think on top of that because it's such a competitive illness it's very very difficult to kind of manage it and fueling that kind of the i guess further issues around it Mm. Especially when you consider that, I mean, even your own experience, you know, as you said, when when you got really sick, your school got involved because they noticed your weight loss, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But like a lot of people, as you say, 96% of people or 94%, I'm really bad at maths, 94% of <laughs> people, <laughs> um, you know, are never going to fall into a category where, where people will be necessarily that worried. And particularly if you're in a bigger body, you know, if you're losing weight, people will congratulate you and celebrate you. They don't care why you're losing weight or how you're losing weight or how it's happening. And I know that because I lost weight through having cancer and I got a lot of congratulations. Um, so, you know, if you're in that bigger body category and you're very sick with an eating disorder, but you're losing weight and be, you would be praised for it and nobody would think yeah. or care really that it could be down to an eating disorder. That's the thing. And I, I always say to people like we shouldn't be complimenting weight loss. Yeah. We shouldn't be kind of fixating and not just on weight loss, but also on kind of change in muscular physique. Yeah. You might have someone who suddenly starts getting really muscular, but actually maybe they're obsessively working out. Mm. And it's all of that that I think means that people, yeah, people just get stuck in that vicious cycle where they don't really feel like they're able to kind of ask for that support because people are complimenting, because people don't fully understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what the Ditch the Scales campaign is really all about, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. So it's about education, so making sure that everybody has an understanding of eating disorders, not only across kind of healthcare, but also across society. It's about encouraging and empowering people with eating disorders to actually speak up, realising that actually they don't have to get to a certain size or a certain weight before they start making those steps to recovery. And it's about also making sure the right funding and the right support is out there. Kind of scrapping BMI is so, so important, but we can't scrap BMI unless we're going to properly invest into services. And I mean, I know that there will be people listening who might be experiencing an eating disorder themselves or who might have a loved one who's experiencing an eating disorder. Um, what advice would you have to them if if there's someone who say can't access services who's had the experience that you had of being told sorry you're you know you're not the right number on the scale so you're not going to get treatment right now 
Yeah, I think, firstly, it's important to remember that you do deserve to have treatment regardless yeah. of what your BMI is and to not let the eating disorder use the kind of being turned away from services as a way to suck you back in and pull you back in. Mm. I think in those situations, it is about going back to your GP if you feel like you can, looking at who you have around you, looking at that support network, make a list of all your reasons for wanting to get well. I think so often with eating disorders, we think that they make us invincible. We think that they're the best way to do things. But actually taking a little bit of a step back, Think about actually what purpose is this serving me? Can you instead look at actually going on holiday or creating those happy memories, all of that sort of stuff to just give you that fuel mm. to start to actually recover and get to that better space? And I do think in some situations, looking at actually getting involved with a dietitian or other services as well to have that space. Mm. Um, and the other thing that really helped me actually was having distractions in place around meal times. Mm. So when my brain was being really, really difficult, I tended to realise that actually it was normally a projection of anxiety, of fears, of certain emotions onto my body, which was then coming out in the form of kind of the food and the bad body image. Mm. But actually, as I started to realise that, I was able to distract myself around mealtimes to just get myself through that time. Yeah, I can't imagine how difficult it is. I mean, as I said, I've had my own dalliances with a, a very difficult relationship with food. But I can't imagine, you know, living with an actual eating disorder must be excruciating. Yeah, it, it's really, really hard work. It's like a constant battle in your head, a constant kind of narrative telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing. And I think particularly with society, again, it gets you to kind of, I guess, worry that what you're doing going against the grain with changing your weight or with eating kind of foods that maybe other people would say are off limits, it makes it even harder. Mm. And I do think that kind of fuels a lot of the stigma around eating disorders because no one chooses to have an eating disorder, mm. but in recovery, you have to choose to eat every single day. You have to choose to find a way to bring it into your day-to-day -day and deal with the aftermath of your brain as well around that. Yeah. And how is life in recovery? It's good. Um, yeah, so it's hard work in places, if I'm honest. And yeah. It, it's challenging as well. But I, for me, it's definitely something that I absolutely love. I love now that I can go out to dinner with my friends and I can fully relax. And that I know that when I'm having a bad body image day, I'm able to really unpick what that might mean and what, what that might be telling me. Mm. I think so often we think that recovery is not possible, that we settle at where we're at and we don't strive for that total kind of freedom from the eating disorder. But I know for me, whilst I've got a little bit of work still to do, actually total recovery is possible for every single person and it's hard work but it's possible and the more we start to challenge that the more we start to understand that that is possible not only does it fuel our recovery with the motivations with all the things that we can do but it also opens up our lives to something so much bigger than actually what's going on inside of us. Hmm. Well, I think that's a really good note to finish on. Thank you so much, Hope. If you want to check out um, Hope's work, uh, her book, Dump the Scales, that campaign and, and her other work, you can go to hopevirgo.com. That's Virgo like the star sign. What a great name you have, Hope. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and I wish you all the very best in your continuing recovery. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Louise McSherry on 2FM.